happy humanoids, and welcome to my land. My name is Anna Musings, and this is Anna Musings Land. That's the only thing I could think of, gang. We're running out of rides. Wait, what, what ride is that? That's uh, Tomorrowland, or uh, Interventions. That's oh, how they open Interventions. With, with Tom right. Morrow. I'm Tom Morrow here. That's right. It, it, I figured, hey, that attraction opened with a robot. This is a movie about robots. Yeah. In should. disguise. Well, let's uh, let's posit the question to your your animusers. <laughs> yes, that's what we call our fans. What, what adequate Disney film came out after Frozen, but often over gets shadowed by Frozen? Zootopia. Well, that's probably <laughs> for a different reason with a specific crowd of people. <laughs> oh, not just because it's a like a decent movie with good. Characters. Oh, it is that is, it is a, a very very good movie, uh, but we're talking about Big Hero Six here. Big Hero Six. Yep. Um, as always, it, I'm Kayla King. I'm joined by my husband David King. Hello. And this time we are also joined by a guest, a returning guest. That sounds repetitive. Hi, I'm returning possible dwarf, like Gimli dwarf, <laughs> uh, Matt Holly. Edit that out, David. Okay, I'll edit that out. Don't edit that out. Okay, I won't edit it out. <laughs> That's all right. You, hey, you own it. I, I own it. We own it. Uh, well, it's like I always said. Like if Disney continues down the route of doing their live action films, like their live action remakes, when they do Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, I'm just gonna sneak on set and see if they can, <laughs> you know, if they figure out that I'm not actually playing a dwarf. <laughs> that totally works. But uh, yes, Big Hero Six. We finally made it. Uh. It's uh, it came out November seventh, twenty fourteen. I'm now at the point where I I know you, or like I met you just before this movie came out. That's true. So or now at that point. So you could say that we're dating. Big Hero Six is your your date movie. Or we whatever. never saw this together. Well, you just saw it now, so retroactively, it came <laughs> yeah, retroactively. No, the first weirdly enough, one of the first movies we saw together in theaters was uh, Maleficent. <laughs> Yeah, our first uh, Disney animated feature that we saw together in theaters was Moana, actually. Oh, man, that's going to be a trip when we get around to that. uh, That's an adequately animated film. Yeah. It sure is. Uh, I think, like, the last movie I saw before the pandemic started was Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) I'd say that was a good movie, too. (laughs) I haven't watched it yet, but I I definitely want to now that I know the new one's coming out. And Uh, the trailer actually looked decent. Get ready for Olive Garden references, but I couldn't tell if they were doing like the whole Wayne's World, you know, we don't do product placement gag or <laughs> they legit just really enjoyed Olive Garden. I'm kind of pissed that an Olive Garden didn't blow up in that movie. Hopefully in the next one. <laughs> Eggman hates Olive Garden. Uh, I think everybody loves Olive Garden in that universe, but we're not here to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog and how cool Idris Alba is going to be as Knuckles. No, we're going to we're here to talk about uh Baymax and Hero and all the gang. And Fred. And Fred. Yeah. And Stan Lee, who's at the end. Lee Spoilers. Yeah. Uh so <laughs> I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, we're gonna talk about it in detail, so go watch the movie first. But uh I'm gonna provide the history for this. Um so Walt Disney acquired Marvel in two thousand nine. And that was kind boy, of a big deal. Boy, did they run with it. That Yeah, that that was a great purchase. Considering we're recording this the year that Avengers Campus opened at uh, California Adventure. Yeah. Like, you know. I remember uh, a 
college friend, his name was Adam, mm, actually mm-hmm. rolled in, uh, you know, when people are in mourning, they wear the, the black, um, I don't know what you would call it. Like the arm, the, the black, armband, the black, yeah, the black armband, the black armband around, you know, one yeah. of his arms. And I posited, well, why are you wearing that? Who died? And he said, oh, Disney bought Marvel because there was a lot of doom and gloom about it. Oh, well, look what happened. Well, Disney just said, here's a bunch of money. Make it grow. And mm-hmm. they got pretty adequate writers. Yeah, they did. They did. They did. I mean, that, that, those franchises, I have, uh, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I really enjoy Marvel's shared universe more than DC shared universe. But I'm more of a Batman fan than I am a fan of Marvel in general. But I mean, that's yeah. not necessarily yeah. true because I like Sp- Spider-Man. I like well, Spider-Man. It's... I like X-Men. I like the X-Men. I mean, I, out of the... I really enjoyed the first Avengers quite a bit. Well, for me, what it, what it comes down to, like, if we're comparing DC to Marvel, Marvel in general, I feel has, their films are just better. Oh, yeah. But their cartoons are not great. Uh, in comparison to DC, which they have the animated, the animated field like down, like they yeah they make some really good animated stuff, and it's been that way ever since the nineties with Batman the animated series. They're, they're, well, they're, I, yeah. I mean, I grew up with um, if we're going to talk about Marvel, um, I grew up with like the X Men series, like the original uh, yes. X Men animated series, as well as yeah the nineties X Men. Yeah, that as, one was really good. That was a really good one. And then I also grew up with uh, the revival one that was on, I think... X-Men First Class? Yeah. Where they're all young? Yes. Or was that... I like no, that no, one. No, 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 not first... X-Men was, Evolution. Though. Yes, Evolution. that's what I'm talking about. That came X-Men. out after oh. they did the first X-Men yes. film. Yes, X-Men Evolution was also my jam. It was pretty good. Like, that one actually made Nightcrawler really, likeable. really likable. Oh, and he was like the best character in that? Something I gotta say about the X-Men cartoon, like the 90s one. First of all, X-Men 97 is something that Disney is making, and it's supposed to be a continuation of that cartoon. Oh! They're the same style, continuing from where they left off. So we might get to see Magneto leading the X-Men in that. Ooh. But I will say this about that. The first season of that cartoon is amazing. Yeah. It's really good. When I rewatched it a few years back, like, I had to keep watching. Like, I had to, you know, I couldn't do one episode a day. I had to binge the damn thing. After that, though, it does go downhill. The animation quality does get lesser, and I feel the writing is not as strong as the first season. I, I remember th- one of the things that I got bored with was there's a whole romance thing. Uh, it almost feels like a romance novel with uh, Jean Grey, and I'm like, this oh, is... Oh, and Logan and Cyclops. Yeah, and I, I mean, was... now they would just make them polyamorous, and I'd be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they just don't do that. Yeah. The one problem with the... Uh, we should probably get into Big Hero 6. Yeah, sorry. But, we're, getting, we're getting distracted. David, edit, edit this out. <laughs> no. I, I can't. It's impossible. All right, David, don't edit this out. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Uh, big, big. I, I will say that the Jubilee, though, was probably the weak point in se- the first <sighs> season. And but she was one of the main characters in the first season. Her yeah. VA was... Excellent. It's not the, but I think it's the fact that it was following that whole trope at the time where, oh, we need to appeal to kids. We need the main yeah, character to well, be a child, the, but the, it's, they, they made her like a mall child that was like, that was the late eighties, early nineties. And on forget, top of that, let's like, let's not forget the line. Does a mall baby love chili cheese fries? Okay. I don't remember that. <laughs> hey, but, look, all I need to say to cement that is Cajun Gambit. Yeah. yeah. But oh, if yeah. you watch, like, the prototype of that cartoon, which was, I believe, called Xavier's Pride, 
the main character was Kitty Pride. Yeah. Also a teenage female character. Yeah. Also the they had one episode of that, like the pilot. It it's floating around on YouTube. If you haven't seen that, go watch it. It's interesting and Wolverine is Australian. <laughs> I mean, and it's it's pretty cool. Well, I mean, he, it makes sense why they would now hire Hugh Jackman to be on. <laughs> hey, the the past resembles the future. What can I say? So, uh, big, right, Big Hero Six. So funny enough, unlike the rest of these Marvel products, Big Hero Six is one of the most obscure in the Marvel series. Like, I had to look this up. Um, if you type up Big Hero 6, the first thing that comes up is Disney. Of you, course. I actually have to type up comics in order to get any details about um, this series. And it's very limited. I think there's less than a dozen comics about the about them. So they first appeared in 1998, um, and the comic series was called Sunfire and uh, Big Hero 6. Sunfire was a superhero actually from the X-Men. He was created... Uh, in 1970. And the idea behind him was that his mother suffered from radiation poisoning from the atomic bomb in Hiroshima. Oh. And then he, he was born, uh, because of that, he got solar radiation powers. So, but you don't get solar, what? That's so strange. Know, it's anyway. much cooler than Snowflame, who was a super, well, he was a villain that got his powers from cocaine. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, do you all remember Matter Eater Lad? That's something unrelated. Anyway, carry on. I was about to say, did you make that up? No, this is a real superhero. Anyway, carry on. Carry on. So, Big Hero 6, the idea behind that is um, they are a team of, like, superhero operatives. Basically, the Japanese government says, we need a team of superheroes. And so they uh, recruit all these different people. And that's basically the premise. Um, And it was led by Silver Samurai. <laughs> Silver Samurai. Yeah. I think the reason why he's not in this, in the movie itself, is because, um, okay, let me, let me go back a bit. So, okay. Well, the, I believe he's an X-Men IP, and at that point in time, Disney didn't have Fox Studios yet, so they didn't have X-Men. Mm-hmm. Well, they also had, uh, apparently they had plans to eventually use Silver Samurai in, uh, their movies. At least that was some, that was an idea. But let me let me go back a second. Okay. So 2009, Disney acquires Marvel. 2011, we have Don Hall, who was the director of the Winnie the Pooh movie. That and that movie was charming. It was charming. So Don Hall. Okay, you know how I throughout all of these, there's usually someone who's like, "This is my baby." Yeah, yeah. Don Hall is the oh, Big Hero Six is my baby. Oh. Like this is the guy who's basically going to lead the charge. Yeah. So. Big Marvel fan. Big, like, read multiple comics all throughout his life. Um, goes up to Lasseter and says, hey, can my next project be something from Marvel? I would love to do an animated feature uh, with Marvel. And they said, yes, but, huge caveat, but, big but. Hi, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um So, huge but. They, he was very limited on the options because they said you cannot use X-Men or Spider-Man, any of the Avengers, because... I imagine whatever is, like, part of their phases he was not allowed to use. Which oh! Is, they pretty much are using the whole, the whole thing. Basically, the idea is we're making live-action 
films of these and we're going to make a huge universe, you can't touch that because we don't want people to think that this animated feature has anything to do with this. And they even discourage the idea of like, try and make sure we know that this won't even ever be set in the same universe. Kind of wild now that they're doing the whole multiverse thing, though, in MCU. Because now they can, technically. They, no, no, they do. But they wanted the Disney feature to have nothing to do with uh, that. Yeah, so, yeah, animated... saying, yeah, in hindsight, though, it's interesting. Because now they are they they could conceivably do it. And probably no one would bat an eye. Mm-hmm. Because, but... because multiverse. Because Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> uh, so, what, so he had, like, this limited number so he went through the database and saw the title big hero six never read the comic series read everything um, like a bunch of others just not this one but he liked the name so he looked it up and um i i'm going uh let me give this a uh quote from him i was always attracted to the fact that this story had this very tiny potent sweet story about this relationship between this boy and the robot and this big over-the-top action-packed story and the fact that One's not over there, and one's not over there. They actually cohabitate nicely. That's something I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. Terminator 2, good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I guess Baymax and uh, the the T the T1000. I think it was the T800 or whatever. I don't. I'm not a I'm not a big like Terminator fan, but now I do want to see that crossover with. here's the funny part uh he gave uh six different pitches big hero six being one of them and big hero six was the one that was greenlit but he said i'm not allowed to say what those other pitches are just in case they plan to use amazing yeah okay that's how hush hush and protective they are of these marvel properties understandable um so uh, it gets greenlit, and um, as usual, you have a co-director for animation, so he brings on uh, Chris Williams, who was the director of Bold. Uh, but the good news is, because Big Hero 6 was obscure as it was, and the fact that they're like, we want nothing to do with our Marvel thing, they actually had a lot of freedom. They basically were like, well, then we create our own world. Yeah. We create our own ideas. They can craft the world in any way they see fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny part is, uh, as I read through all these articles, one of the things that popped up quite a bit is like, I'd never read the comic before. Almost no one on this had ever read the comics before. Um, Don Hall actually ended up reading them so, because he had to get a sense of that. But uh, head of story Paul Briggs tried to avoid reading them because he said... I wanted to make sure that I had my, we had our own ideas. This is just an inspiration, not a direct copy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think the reason why they said we want to make sure there's no hint, nothing whatsoever that this is connected to the Marvel, our Marvel cinematic universe. I think that's why they came up with San Francisco. Uh, I, it, when reading through the articles, um, Don Hall said, I really like the idea of setting it in San Francisco. Because now I, I've heard a couple of things. One is that San uh, San Francisco has never been used in a Disney animated film, and I'm going. I went back through our log. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think it has. I mean, unless you want to like assume that there's like a branch of the Rescue Aid Society in there or something. But even though they were set in New York, and then they go to like Louisiana, and um, then in the sequel they go to 
uh, Australia. So yeah, I'm just saying it could. I'm, I'm, this is hypothetically speaking. They, it's not like they actually went they, there. Uh, no, that's an idea. Another rescue rangers. Oh, um, or rescuers. Yeah, rescuers. Rescuers. There you go. Set in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's potential there. Well, the only film that I could think of, like a an animated film, not Disney film, that's set in San Francisco. Um, and it's not even a very popular one, was All Dogs Go to Heaven 2. <laughs> <laughs> that came You're out. right. That film came out in the 90s, and they definitely make use of that city. So. They do. Um, and actually, that was one of the things Don Hall said. San Francisco has, like, is quite a city. There's a lot of landmarks that people recognize. And he's surprised that it never got used. And then I don't know if they never used it in Marvel. He, he, they said, uh, one of the articles claims that was a, thing but i mean there's been so many comics and spinoffs i would be shocked that they never ever sent in, in san francisco uh, fun fun fact though since we were talking about it a little earlier song the hedgehog has been in san francisco this is true, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, or the mobius equivalent of san francisco sonic's universe equivalent of san francisco uh, i don't think it's called san francisco i think it's central city yeah or something like that yeah uh if we're gonna talk about the way they utilize san francisco though it's a very nice blending oh. of japanese architecture along with you know your typical American well, you have your old typical American buildings like those. Is there those houses? That we... those, you're, you're talking about those San Francisco houses that are like all straight together. Yeah, they look like, like a witch lives in them or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, don't, no offense to anybody that lives in San Francisco, but I uh, think that'd be pretty cool. I like. like the, I, I usually call them the uh, full house houses. Yeah, there you go. That's that's a good one. <laughs> uh, well, it's a. Uh, it's an old iconic city, and it also was known for having a huge influx of Asian immigrants coming yes. from China and Japan, etc. Yeah, yeah. And, and they they mold them pretty well together. It's kind of like Blade Runner, and I don't. Yes. Okay. I'll get into. Hold on. Let me get into that okay. first. So the comic itself is set in Japan, and they are Tokyo based. Uh, there. Um. All All Big Hero Six are Japanese superheroes so they wanted to keep that idea but then to make sure it's like oh we're not doing anything that could possibly set in the marvel cinematic universe this is all set in an alternate universe in the not too distant future in san francisco and you're right they they saw the blending like that it blended very well both western and eastern in san francisco because you're right they're there's a lot yeah, of Asian American. I b- believe the term used for that blending of cultural style is Pacific Rim. Yes. I don't know. I believe that is not based off of the film's Pacific Rim. And I recall. No, way- if anything, it's the other way around. Well, Pacific Rim is called yeah. Pacific well, Rim because, because it is inspired by that style. Way back in the way, way back in the day, I, when I was taking some film courses, a uh, professor at the time showed us Blade Runner and naturally he posited was Harrison Ford, you know, a replicant or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was way back before the sequel. But he called that style specifically Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. That actually is the word that they use, too. Like, in the mm-hmm. articles, they called it Pacific Rim. Yeah. Um, another thing they said, uh, they called this was Happy Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Blade Runner is a dystopian future, and this is more like, we kind of handled our issues, I guess. <laughs> I almost want to argue it's like glow punk or neon punk. Mm. Mm-hmm. A neon dynasty, if you will. Oh, MTG fans. MTG fans here. <laughs> Who's looking forward to going back to Kamigawa, baby? David, uh, don't edit that out. I, 
Dorks. No, David, edit that out. Don't edit it out. Uh, so um, another one of the, I mean, there's a lot of changes from the comic to that, but the big, one of the big ones was Baymax. Um, Baymax is nothing like he is in the comic. <laughs> Baymax in the comic is a shape-shifting Gollum character. Really? Yeah. Let me, uh, I, 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 I mean, this is an audio huh. podcast, but I kind of want to show you what he looks like because Normally, listeners, Google search right now. Uh, <laughs> vote now on your phones. Vote now on your phones. So, uh, so this was like some. This is what he looked like when he was fighting. What? He's a green monster. Oh, he looks That's like Baymax. A giant That's goblin. Baymax. That green thing is Baymax. That's so bizarre. And well, then, compared to what we just but, saw. But 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 there is Here's a point a, where he's wearing like green, crazy-looking armor. He does wear, and then he wears armor like this. Yeah. Okay, see, that's a little more. That looks a little more like Baymax as he looks in the movie. But they then, definitely took some liberty, some creative li- license with. Uh, honestly, I think Baymax design. is probably the best part of that film. Well, absolutely. I know we're going to we, get to we, that. We will get into that. Um, but then he also shapeshifted into a human when he uh, actually. Here's the what they all look like as a shapeshifter, because he would also be human, too, or look human as Baymax well. Baymax almost looks like the kingpin there. Yeah, he has, like, a, the red, a eye, red eye with um, a bowler hat. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> and so, and they realize it's like, we didn't, they didn't want that, um, uh, because it's like, they want something that would be more appealing and more disnified. Um, and actually, it was Lisa Keene, who is uh, Glenn Keane's daughter and actually is now an artist um, working at Disney Animation, who said, what if you make him huggable? <laughs> there you go. And so Don Hall, along with the rest of the animation team, toured multiple robotics labs to get ideas of what could they do to Disneyfy or make Baymax huggable. And actually, they found it at... Um, Carnegie Mellon. Uh, engineers at Carnegie Mellon are working on inflatable robots, in particular nurses who could comb or fe- comb hair or feed patients. And the idea behind that, they said, well, we want um, something that's more soft, more um, approachable. Approachable. Something you because I mean they weren't going to throw in those weird headless Boston Dynamics quadrupedal robots. Uh, yeah. By the way, I want one of those, and I would put, like, a little Pikachu mask on it. I, <laughs> I think that would fix the problem, honestly. Yeah, but, yeah, they wouldn't have those things rolling around because humans are very visual, especially when it comes to having eye-to-eye contact. And Baymax does have a face, even though it's pretty much just a visor. Mm-hmm. But it has a face, and the way the eyes connect to each other looks like a mouth. Yeah, and it, so it feels more human. Yeah, I mean, it you get way you, more human. Um, and actually, that's where they got the idea of making Baymax a um, medical care robot. Because in the original, he was just made by Hero in order just to serve him. And uh, there is this whole story of like his parents dying, and then uh, Baymax kind of becoming more like a father figure. From what I gathered. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get. I've not read the comics. This was just all based okay. on research and articles that I read. Um, but he, so they said, okay, we we're, we're going to make him a healthcare companion, and that's where the idea came from. And it kind of just went from there. They also they admitted that they studied a lot of Japanese anim- anime, of course, and Hayao Miyazaki. Sure. 
So if you're if you're thinking to yourself, hmm, does Baymax have any resemblance to my neighbor Totoro? Yes. Yes. Answer, yes. Yes. Totoro was absolutely inspiration for Baymax's design. Um, They also took even more inspiration from Miyazaki's films, because you know how there's, like, quiet moments? Yes. They took that from watching the Miyazaki films, because they even said, like, there are quiet moments that you just let yourself be a part, like, feel You let it all sink in. And we wanted to add that yeah. to this film. I super appreciate that about this movie. That's one of the things I actually really like. The and I'll, I'll, we can get into that later. Um, um, just it, remind me, I, I talk about the pacing. So and oh the, yes, yeah, we gotta talk about the pacing yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, another thing too, because um, uh, mm-hmm. it, this is one of the important parts of this film is about a young boy uh, dealing with grief. Because spoilers, his brother dies in the film. And we witness him trying to go through this grief and handle it. And they actually brought in uh, grief experts um, to learn how kids deal with loss. Oh. So, yeah, they put a lot of effort into this. Clearly, Don Hall was like, no, we were making sure we do this right. They wanted to make a good quality product. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, as I mentioned, the film was released uh, November 7, 2014. The budget for this film was $165 million. Uh, it did well. Uh, not like a um, frozen well, yeah, but it wasn't smash hit. But I'm sure it did fine. Yeah, it made 222 million domestically, 435 million internationally. So altogether, accumulating to about 658 million. That's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, and I call it a, a success. Yeah, and it even got a lot of favorable uh, reviews. A lot of like when you go through the reviews. A lot of the reviewers are like praising Baymax. That Baymax was their favorite. Yeah, he's easily the best part of the film. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of the words that were used was in the vein of like they called it sweet or heartwarming. That was the, like the words that seemed to pop up. Um, and then of course it won best animated picture at the Academy Awards. Oh, so. yeah, that's right. I don't remember what it would have competed with that year. So it competed up against um, Box Trolls, How to Drain Your Dragon 2, Song of the Sea, and The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Okay. Oh, tough crowd, honestly. How to Train Your Dragon 2 was, I remember seeing that in theaters, that was very good. Mm-hmm. I didn't see Box Trolls, but I also heard that was actually pretty good, too. Well, I, it's it's Laika, so... Yeah. I, I heard it was good. It wasn't, like, great. Honestly, I th- I feel like it would be a slap to the face if that had won an Academy Award. Yeah. But uh, Coraline and um, Paranorman. Paranorman. Oh yeah. Paranorman in particular. Paranorman, yeah. I heard is a is so like much better. Well, I've seen it. It's good. It's amazing. Um, but I heard Box Trolls is not as good as okay. Paranorman. Well, I mean, Car- but like I saw, like How to Train Your Dragon Two was legit. Like holy crap, this it was a step above the first film. But even How to Train Your Dragon didn't win again. No. Kind of slapped to the face. Like How to Train Your Dragon Two won, but How to Train, but how to Train Your Dragon didn't? Yeah, I think How to Train Your Dragon 2, uh, if I were to compare the two right now, and this is my own personal preference, I think it's a better film than Big Hero 6. But this is truncated on... I watched How to Train Your Dragon 2 when it came out, and I haven't since. So yeah. I need to rewatch it. I just remember being like, holy crap, this is a good film. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the same... Uh, okay, well, going into personal histories... I only saw this movie once before this. It was in theaters. And then I was like, this was fun. 
After that, never saw it again. Same. I saw this. I remember we were doing like a Thanksgiving Day thing or Christmas thing at family member's house, and it was just on. And I kind of watched it, but also I was distracted by holiday stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time I actually sat down to watch Big Hero Six and actually you know, take it all in. Yeah, I've never seen it. This is my first time watching it. That's my personal history with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's a very fine film. I yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's a fun film. In all honesty, it's. It's not something, like, it's not amazing, but it's a good watch. Like. It's a fun ride. Yes. It, you, you get almost, you kind of get what you, you kind of get what you came for with this one, which is a fun, uh, lighthearted. Yes and no. It depends. If you go in just expecting action, you're going to get more than that. That's true. Because it is, it is heartwarming. You're going to get a story told to you. Yes. I can't, I didn't really have many, I didn't really have expectations coming into this, because uh, again, I hadn't seen it. I just knew, I, I really didn't know much about the story or the characters or anything, so I was, you know, I didn't have a, a stake in it. So I can say that I enjoyed it for what it was, which was just this a fun, charming, it had its fun action moments, it had its really good visual moments, it had good pacing moments, Um, little paint by the numbers in some places, but that's, yeah, that's you know, that's different. how it goes and. Disney movies, as we know, as we've talked about many a time in this. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I can get into why. It's not like a crit, it's not really a criticism. It's just like, it doesn't feel like it breaks new ground, but I enjoyed the film. It's like, you, it's like you said earlier, Matt. It's adequate. Yeah, it's adequate. It's, it's kind of like playing the new Mario Brothers game. It's a fairly good ride, but a lot of it is very much the same and by the numbers. Mm hmm. I, I think, um, one of the things I do appreciate is the casting choice for this. Because one of the things I've noticed in, like, in the past is they will create characters that are... Because uh, this is a very... Um, I'm trying to... Uh, diverse cast in terms of, like, uh, we have... Like, our main, main characters are um, half Japanese, half white. And then we have... Um, uh, the rest of Big Hero Six, we have um, a Latina girl, a big uh, uh, Asian girl, a uh, black man, and a dork. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, a rich white dork. But uh, yeah. one of the things in the past is his superpower is wealth. <laughs> that, that's really the only reason he's in the academy is freaking wealth. Wealth, yeah. yeah. Fred's great. I love Fred. <laughs> we, we, I, Fred grew on me. Yeah, yeah. he, he really did. Um, but. Uh, Usually, like, with voice actors, they just didn't, they're like, well, we have the cast, who, or we have these characters, who cares who we cast as it? And, um, I, I do appreciate that they actually casted people who, you know, like, an actual Asian woman to voice an Asian character. Yes. And then actually, um, the two boys, Ryan, like, a hero is voiced by Ryan Potter, who is half Japanese, and then, uh, Tadashi is, um... Uh, his voice actor, I need to look this, I forgot to write this. James Cromwell is Callahan, pretty solid. <laughs> James Cromwell is yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Casting credits include Babe and Star oh, Trek yeah. First Contact. We'll get into that. Uh, Daniel Henney, uh, who actually is also um, half Korean, uh, Korean, I believe? Yes. Uh, but then we also have Damon Wayans, Jun- uh, Wayans Jr., who is Damon Wayans' son, uh, as... Wasabi, and then uh, Genesis Rodriguez as a uh, Honey Lemon. And for those who didn't know, yes, Honey Lemon is a Latina woman. That's why she has that little accent. 
Yeah, I picked that up. Mm-hmm. So I also dig that she dresses like she's from the late sixties. Yeah, I also appreciate she's, she's almost mod. She's tall, like yeah. she's so tall, but then it's like. You know what? I'm going to wear platform shoes. Screw you guys. She towers over the entire cast. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Honey Lemon appreciators. Uh, we hear you. Out there, we hear you. And yes, we did notice that on her, her bag, she has a periodic table of elements. And to make her little bombs, she punches in the chemical compounds. <laughs> it's such a good detail. There's, I think it's the little things for me, like the little things that make this yeah. movie and really set, cement yeah, the like universe. The architecture and Honey Lemon doing her thing with her, her bag, etc. Yeah. I- also, uh, when they're they're testing out their their suits and their gadgets with the butler, mm-hmm. he occasionally would crack that smile. Yeah. <laughs> And which I love because a part of me thinks he's having a blast. Also, he's like, uh, Fred has friends finally. Oh, <laughs> for Fred. Yeah. Uh, Fred, <laughs> Fred never brings his friends over. So Fred's voiced by TJ Miller, and I think just TJ Miller's playing himself in this. <laughs> sure, pretty much Those are yeah. the best kind of roles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Fred. They're I like that they're all scientists in one way or another. They have their own experience they're working on and that's what creates their superpowers yeah that was a good that was a good setup when they go to the the tech lab or i mean because uh initially like again we're not necessarily going to go scene by scene we're finding that the freeform discussion is working better for the podcast now yeah Um, um, when they go to this tech lab and uh hero sees all the all of tadashi's friends making these things and i like how they're they are all introduced and they're all introduced with the the gadget that is going to be their yeah. their superpower later from yeah. the maglev like wheels to the the particle physicist with his magical cutting board and the chemist with her those paper thin apples were really neat yeah the apple slices were really neat um because the whole story the chemist the whole story this is hero's story through and through and hero, yes hero is boy genius like in like apparently okay one of the things that's really bad about this though is the exposition wow. This exposition, like the they way died when I was three. Oh, yeah. Remember? Who cares, Big we Brother? Either... Our parents are freaking dead. They died when I was three. three years old, specifically. I remember. I'm like, <laughs> you could have worded that yeah, so much. It was better. just kind of an awkward way to say because we could have. He could have just said like, "Our parents have been gone a long time," or "I don't remember their faces," or he could have just straight up said. They're dead. <laughs> yeah. Also, remember, remember how, uh, like, for contrast, remember how the parent death was presented to in um, Lilo and Stitch? Yeah. And it makes an impact, and it doesn't feel like shoddy exposition. Yeah. This is a little forced, a little weird. Mm-hmm. It, Just saying, it can be done, and it can be done well. Yeah. Lilo and Stitch well, is a prime example of it, that. It's kind of like they're on a car chase, and then Tadashi. It's not as bad as him saying they died when I was three. Remember, uh. But he says, uh, it's like, you graduated from high school at 13 and this is what you do? I'm like, why are you safe? Yeah, specifically yeah. in a way. You're, like, you're out here doing illegal Pokemon battling, basically. Yeah, you could have said you're a child prodigy and this is what you t- choose to do. Yeah. Like, I, like, we can gather that he's a... I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, we, we can gather that he's a genius without having... His brother saying you graduated high school at 13 because we just see him roll in to a back, like a back alley robot battle and completely wipe the competition. Like we figure 
wow, this kid's pretty badass. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't really need to announce that he's a badass. Like, oh, my brother is such a badass. He graduated high school. He's 13. Uh, His uh, parents are dead. <laughs> Honestly, the best time that they could have revealed that if they want, I mean, I get they want to make sure that you know that, no, he's graduated high school this, uh, and he's young. That's why they're oh trying my to encourage yes. him to go to college. So, like, when he brings him into the robot academy and he's talking to Professor Callahan, yeah. Because he says your age wouldn't matter. Uh, so he could have just said, you don't have any high school to worry about, right? You just yeah, join right like, in. yeah, he could have said, it's like, based off what your brother told me, you've already graduated high school. So, like, he could say it then, and that's like, oh, that's all and he needs to know. It's really so more impactful, too, because it's more of an impressive thing for somebody who doesn't really know him to be like, oh, wow, this kid's a badass, rather than his brother being like, oh, God, my hero's being a badass right now. You, I have to deal with your nonsense again. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um... I do like the relationship that gets established, but they do, they actually do a good job with the smaller character moments mm-hmm. in this. And even though the dialogue can be a little awkward, I, there's, there's little things that they do that I appreciate. Uh, like I like, I like all the little moments between Tadashi and, and Hiro. And then when their aunt picks them up at the police station <laughs> and she does the same thing to them where she grabs her ears and calls them knuckleheads, I'm like, she immediately endeared herself to me. You can get the family dynamic. Yes. And, uh, I'm going to dress the elephant in the room. I'm, yes, she's a milk. She's hot. Yes. Why Cass, did they do this? Cass is a hot. And well, is it Ao? Aunt. I, well, we're not gonna exact. Yeah. We're not gonna. <laughs> she is. She, she. She is a hot. She aunt. is though. She's, she's a, a hot, hot aunt. aunt. She's a hot aunt in her prime. <laughs> she's a hot young aunt in her prime, and she runs a cafe. Yes. Slash donut shop. Yes. Pastry shop. Yes. So so she's, she's an entrepreneur store. too. She's an aunt entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's voiced by Maya Rudolph, by the way. Oh. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, good character dynamic. And then also, I like the fact that she's raised, the, clearly raised these kids, but there's still that awkwardness like, okay, I'm not your parent. I'm but- not your mom, but I have to be your mom in this situation. But also, I'm not your mom. Yes. But still, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Also, I knew that, like, going into the, 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 into this film, watching it for the first 20 minutes, I'm like, holy crap, Tadashi's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> I did not guess that, actually, when I first I saw this movie. I felt it, the first time I saw it, I'm like, this character's a goner, for sure. To the film's credit, the fact that Tadashi stays dead, I appreciate. That there wasn't yeah. any magical save, there wasn't any fix, Tadashi just straight up is killed in a fiery explosion. But he he died, like, in my opinion, he's probably one of the bigger heroes of the film. He literally ran in there yeah. to save a man he admired and respected, and he died for his trouble. And as it turns out, that man he admired and respected turned out to be an asshole. Yeah. Well, should we talk about Callahan for a second here? Because that's that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Callahan as, uh, is voiced by James Cromwell. As he- yeah, James Cromwell, he's cool. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's done so much. Uh, but I think most people know him as... Um, uh, the farmer from Babe. Uh, uh, if you're a Star Trek fan, you would know him as Zephyrin Cochran from First Contact. Mm-hmm. He, he's been in The Green Mile. Uh, he has quite a filmography. Are you surprised when you mentioned that he was in Murder by Death? Yeah, he is. That was like his first feature film. I, I actually had to look it up. Uh, he is, um, I, I forget the character's name, but it's the Hercule uh, Poirot uh, yeah. character, and it, he plays his chauffeur. Um, uh, the one... The the character the voice actor I'm most excited about just because it took oh me, I already know where you're yeah, going yeah it's May Max yeah because yeah. it's Scott Adsit the funny part is when I was looking through the cast I was like why do I know Scott Adsit's name 
that is really clicking with me right now. Now, uh, he has a role in 30 Rock. Like, uh, apparently he was also one of the writers for 30 Rock. But how I know him is he was on Thrilling Adventure Hour multiple times. Specifically, he was, uh, in the episode of Beyond Relief, uh, about Robbie Ruffhauser. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Curse at First Bite. That's right. That's right. Which, uh, there's this great picture. Um, that always stuck with me where it's like they're singing the Robbie the Roughhouser song and then comes out is, um, you've got Craig Kakowski and, um, Mark, uh, Mark, Mark Gagliardi and then, um, Weird Al apparently as well singing the Robbie the Roughhouser song along with Paul F. Tompkins. So it's... I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, oh, I will, obviously we're going to talk about Baymax, but, like, I want to talk about Callahan for a sec, because I'm yes, thinking about Callahan. it. So, so Callahan, he's, um, we don't know this until later, but, uh, he's got this vendetta against, uh, Cray, who is voiced by Alan Tudyk. I think Alan- And is the other, it is a yet another red herring villain. Yeah. I think out of all the characters that Alan Tudyk has played for Disney so far, I think this is his most consequential one. Like, or, and that the character has, it really doesn't contribute much apart from being just there. No, 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 no. no okay. <laughs> he set the no, motivation imp- for Callahan to go on his revenge. No, that, that's true. It's just that the character himself, Cray, is like a very milk toast. Oh, he's like, a, yeah, no, he's like, I need he's, corporate quarterly games. But he's a bigger role. He does play a bigger role in the series because he, he is. No, like, I know this. Sorry, go ahead. I, I do think he plays a bigger role in the series compared to like his other roles. Like, I think. Um, his role in Frozen as, uh, uh, Wesselton isn't as big. And then later on, no, I mean. But he's a little bit more of a defined character in that mm-hmm. because he's like this weird, crazy duke. Mm-hmm. Here he's just kind of pretty, well, not even pretty. I would say like just like immaculately dressed, rich guy, corporate yeah. tech he's wizard, Steve a, Jobs he's wannabe. A, well, he's not even, he's not even demonstrated to show that. He really has any tech savvy. He's just a business tycoon that, That's that can see tech savviness and can see a good idea, and he wants to buy it. Okay. Yes. So yeah, he's more of a salesman than anything. Yeah. As was yeah. as was established. I mean, I mean, when we get to Moana, I I still think probably Hey Hey is his best role. <laughs> I still want to say King Candy's his best role. That's but... oh wait no no just kidding just kidding. King, King Candy King, King is his Candy. most consequential role. That is his biggest role in, in Disney. Sorry, well, that, I, I know, but, but I will I will give you credit. I think Hey Hey is equally as important. Yeah, sorry. But I'm just saying for me personally, it's got to be King I'm Candy. Just, I'm just gonna throw this out there. He played the Joker in the Harley Quinn cartoon. No, yeah. That's if you good. have not seen that, seen that, he's fantastic in that. I've never thought I would hear the Joker say, "What do you take me for, a basic bitch?" And actually. <laughs> Be like, wow, that was delivered so well. <laughs> exactly. So Callahan, right? Yes. So we we've established Cray's just kind of there, and Cray cuts corners, and Cray da 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 da. Yeah. But uh, what we learn is that um, Callahan, you know, robotics genius that he is, has this vendetta because he blames Callahan for the death of his daughter because he quote unquote death quote unquote death again. This one is not a real death. This is a fake out. Um, but well, I mean, it seems that way. Loss but, of his daughter. Well, I mean, we're just an important thing. So, so Callahan sabotages the, we learn later, sabotages the robotics convention hall 
and steal and in the process steals the uh, n- the mini the mini bots. Yeah, steals that, the nano machines. The nano machines that he then uses. He wants oh, to hero, use them. Yeah, that hero develops. That hero develops. Um, and he sabotages it in order to make his escape and uses them to protect himself. I know that hero technically, especially as a key moment later, blames him for Tadashi's death, which technically yes, but it's important to establish that Tadashi's death was in a lot of ways, kind of a tragic accident. Yes. Yeah, because he ran in to rescue the man, a man he really respected and admired. Yeah. He threw himself into the fire, and that was his choice, because yeah. he could have just yes. walked away. But he died a, a hero's death, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's the point. The, and the important thing is, Callahan would not be redeemable if that was all planned. Yes. Like, if he had killed Tadashi intentionally... This would not be any... He would be really irredeemable. Well, I'd say what makes him irredeemable is that... But, I mean, he does try to kill them. Yeah. Many, yes. many times. He tries to kill his, his students. His, his and, students. The and, students that he yeah. works students. with, like, personally. Yeah, and the, the brother, the younger brother, the child prodigy of the man who sacrificed himself in an attempt to save him. Right. But I mean, I'm just... This guy's an asshole. I don't... I mean, he is. No, I'm not saying he's irredeemable. I'm just saying what's important... What's important here is, like, there's parallels between, like, he... He does this thing that is reckless because he only sees it this way. And Hero almost goes down that path, too. Oh, yeah. When he takes... When he basically turns safety mode off and takes uh, Tadashi's uh, program out of Baymax. Uh, Baymax's program. Yeah, what's that... Baymax's program. What's that uh, law of robotics... Robots oh, Asimov's or, law. Of yeah, life. he basically yeah. just turns that off and says, "Kill this guy." And yeah, yeah. he literally goes there, and he yeah. like, and Callahan was going to do that too. So it's, I, I think it's just important to distinguish that in this universe, you can see what where that line is, like yeah. that hard line. And Callahan wants to cross that line because he's straight up like, "I'm going to tear down everything you've ever built, Cray, and then I'm going to kill you yeah. by throwing you into the same portal that killed my daughter." Uh, he's very hypocritical. Well, yeah, that's the point. He's yeah. blinded by rage. Yeah. He and deserves, so is he, Hero. He does so is Hero. Yeah, exactly. so is Hero. But at least... I'm not saying it's not... It's not look, it's obvious, and we all know it's an obvious beat there. I just think it's, but, worth, it's yeah. worth mentioning. Here's a difference, though. Hero's a child. Yes. Hero is 14 years yeah. old. Yeah. Cro- uh, Callahan is an old-ass man. <laughs> yes. He, 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 like... you're. It's like, no, you're just a jerk. Um, at least Hero... Again, going through puberty. <laughs> this is this is legitimately actually his first loss too. Yes, his parents died when he was young, but he doesn't but remember. He it. has no memory of them. He they were he was too young to really remember them. Yes. Um. So this is his first personal loss. Yeah, it's his brother is, was obviously a major part of his life, a very important part of his life. Yes. And losing that, like especially when. His aunt rolls in and says, hey, you still have that invitation to this highfalutin college. It's been a few weeks, but the invitation's open. You should take it. Mm-hmm. So, and we see him locked up in that room, mm-hmm. blinds off. And when she brings in his breakfast, we can see that his dinner's there and it's cold. Yes. That he's not eating. He's genu- just like genuinely not doing well. And he rolls up to his computer to look for more bot fights because he's like, I don't want to be this prodigy anymore. I don't want to deal with this. I want to go back to the way things were yeah. what I was doing, which is doing the bot fights. Yeah. It, you, it's the, it's the idea of creep. You, you stick with something that's familiar. Yeah. Something that's comforting, I suppose. Yeah. In which case it was rolling into back alley bot fights and wiping. <laughs> <laughs> that was his comfort. I love and, this. I mean, that's one way to comfort yourself knowing that you have 
some control of the situation because aside from that group of thugs trying to beat him up for winning the bot fight, he yeah. was mostly in control of that situation. And now yes. it's like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, no, you're right. Um, and I think he also knows that he, his age is an advantage too. Cause again, he used his age as a reason. Yeah. Cause oh, I'm you're, just, this you're, is my first yeah. bot and I don't know what I'm doing. And then turns it around and is like, kid yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then just like oh, i'm gonna own you now mm-hmm. imagine if that kid played league of legends <laughs> <laughs> everyone would hate it him. does make for an interesting contrast when he he just does that thing where he just goes destroy and then the robot does it and then he does the same thing with baymax later yeah, yeah. uh speaking of baymax yes so baymax i mean what else, what else can be really said about him he's a great design he's got a great va and he's honestly the best part of that film yeah I mean, the dialogue with him is just hilarious because he is just oh, a no. quintessential. Oh no! He <laughs> <laughs> loses power. He's getting drunk. Yeah, that was fun. He's just all intoxicated. He's he's overall a great character and uh, uh, just funny enough. From what I read in an article, John Laster told uh, uh, Don Hall, "Can you take out the part with the hairy baby? I don't like it." And then they, Don Hall's like. Nah, I'm keeping it in. Yeah, and it's... apparently that became a hit, and John Lasseter later said, okay, you were right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, you got to trust an artist with their craft, man. Mm. Absolutely. Sometimes it's like not everyone's advice See is always Jeffrey. Going, See Je- Jeffrey. Jeffrey has nothing to do with this. I'm. All, I will take any opportunity to point out how, <laughs> how, much, I, man. how much I just loathe Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> trust people's artistic abilities, you... Rat thing. You dingus. You. You dingle dang. You. You. You ignoramus. No, no, I know. Again, you foolish fool. It it, it is. It's strange when I read these articles knowing what has happened now uh, with John Lasseter. Yeah, that's the other thing. And really who he is as a person. Yeah. Um, Because. I I don't keep up with it. Is this a good or bad thing? It's a bad thing. Should we address the elephant in the room with John Lasseter? Because we haven't really talked about. Yeah, uh, John... How much of a bad thing is it? Like, sexual harassment. Okay, I was about to bring up, is it sexual harassment bad thing? Because that's really bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, I, we keep kind of, we keep kind of dancing around it, but at a certain point, and I'm not sure where it is in our timeline. Um, I, it's going to be later down. Okay, should we, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, I think. When we get to the John Lasker is a piece of crap era <laughs> animation. Well, the problem with it is, um, business wise, he actually, he and along with like Pixar coming in and helping taking over for Disney animated features did a lot of good because the way that it was handled at Pixar allowed for more creativity and for creatives to be able to be think more outside the box. And now as a result, we've had more successful. Disney animated features. Well, that's the way it goes, isn't it? There's, every rose has its thorns, and these are some really bad, dumb-covered forms. <laughs> that one, seriously. Um, that is so unfortunate. It reminds me of uh, me yeah. as a, a fan of like Earthworm Jim. How Doug Tenapple is just turned out to be a homophobic, homophobic nightmare. Yeah, he's just not not a. You have to separate the work from the artist, or the art from the artist at that point. Yeah, there there comes a time. And then, then this, in this case, it's more, it's like, 
he did have good business sense. And I mean, I don't think it's John Lasseter alone, but he did have a huge role in that in basically improving Disney Animation Studios at this point. Right. Um, and I, I always, the thing is, every person is always going to, like, not everyone's just pure bad and they're bad at everything. There's always going to be some sort of good. And that's the unfortunate, even if they are a bad person. Yeah. Um, Yang and but, Yang. I mean, and here's the well. thing. Here's the thing. I, I, I guess, yeah, not, now I'm is not, the time I, to address I, it. I, I'm not going to justify what he's done. No. Because it's, what he's done is not a good, and I'm glad he's left. And right now, um, Jennifer Lee is now the new chief. Well, Jennifer Lee is awesome. And so. she has talent. She's, she's proven her oh, talent. Absolutely. Time and again. Like, especially with the films we've been looking at recently. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, like she was the writer for Wreck It Ralph, and then she goes on to basically direct and write Frozen and. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's done some good work then. Yeah. yeah. And um, this is like her first years. Like she was brought in for Wreck It Ralph, and that was like her first film. And that like, was a fairly solid film. Yeah. Really. Yeah. She's one of the writers, not like the, the only writer, but same with Frozen. But yeah, sorry. And I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to see more films come out as we go. Because I haven't seen me too. Like uh, in at at the point of this recording, Encanto had just came out last month. Yes. And, Encanto is the newest, and we will get to that within a few months. Yeah, that's Encanto is probably going to be our final film for the Disney chapter, at least for until another Disney film comes out. Yes, we, that's the thing. We we'll, when we get to the end of the timeline, we are going to tell you what our plans are for the future, like yeah. definitively. Which, much like the MCU, we're going to go to alternate timelines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to address one thing because you know, again. Bringing up anything about, you know, the some of the, the, the sketchier and harder to talk about stuff, especially with Lassiter and mm-hmm. the things that uh, the, the things that were, you know, we're kind of dancing around there. I may make digs against Jeffrey, but at least he didn't go far enough to a point where that people were levying those kind of accusations against him. Yes. I may. I don't think Jeffrey's uh, heart or mind were necessarily in the right place when it comes to artistic decisions. Yes. But I don't think he's a terrible person. No. I'm going to be straight up with that. So that's probably the nicest thing you'll hear me, yeah. hear me say about Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know the man personally. I've never interacted with him. Yeah, exactly. He could be a very nice individual, just had very, from what I gather, just didn't have the great... Okay, again, he he makes weird, he made weird, weird artistic decisions it, and came off as, comes off as in, in, incredibly petty. But again, and that's, at least, again... Didn't pull a freaking Lassiter. Didn't do a sexual harassment. Didn't do it. Yeah, at least yeah, as far multiple. As we know. Yeah, Ooh, multiple yeah. Times. He actually had to take a six months leave because of all the other. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. It, 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 <laughs> That's a bad one. So Big Hero Six, though. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we how much how, how much have we covered at this point? Well, okay. There, there, there's a few things like seeing things from a different angle. So yeah, earlier in the film where. Uh, hero wants to go that robotics academy or that the academy for super geniuses or whatnot. It's a college. The college, the super duper awesome college, and his brother's like, "Hey, you got to come up with something to impress the professor, dog." And <laughs> Hero's like, "Oh, don't worry, I got this. I graduated high school when I'm 13." And he's sitting there, he's like, "Ah, oh, crap, I can't come up with anything." And then like his brother puts him in a wrestling move or whatever, and he's like, "Hey, you see things from a different angle. Think of something." And he looked at his 
robot which he used to to like wipe the yeah. floor in those back alley robot fights and he's like I'm going to make a mini version of this and control it with my mind. Mhm. I they I think the it's also a very brotherly thing to do. He basically puts him on the shoulders so he can be upside down behind his back. Yeah, and very, again, it's a little moment. That it's I like. a very older brother thing. Yeah, it's like, it come is. on, it you gotta is. get get your head get your head in the game, dog. And like that is exactly like it is a really good moment between the two. Yeah, uh, but that's a thing that comes up again, especially when they're having their final showdown against Callahan, yeah. and they're all kind of pinned down. And Hero notices that the nano machines are getting sucked into the black hole, and he's like, huh. You know, if he's run out of those things, he's powerless. Target them! Yeah. See it from a different angle, and everybody's like, holy crap, yeah, let's do this! I like how they all work their way out of their different, like, life-or-death situations, too. Yes. Which, I think that's the, the unique part, because in usually in these movies in the past, it's uh, it's always been, oh, attack the big things, and yeah. then later on they're like, wait, there's one small thing controlling all these Kill that, and you kill everything. Yeah, literally attack the small things this time around. This time you attack all the small things. In more ways than one, they actually got it. This was this was literally like a death by a thousand cut situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just had to break it down and break it down and break it down until Callahan became powerless. Which, by the way, I got a, a, a credit again to the artistic quality of the movie, the animation quality, the nanotech, the the, the mini, the mini bots yeah. are mm-hmm. really cool, and he's just always like gliding around on them and just yeah. making them shape shift. It's really neat. It's a very nice effect. Yeah, especially when he's all creepy with the kabuki mask uh, and everything. Especially, okay, so really nice effect when they go through the portal. Mm-hmm. You, we kind of see that. <laughs> the Stargate qu- portal. <laughs> yeah, the, the quantum universe that they roll into is actually really cool looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially it, with all the debris from the buildings and the nanobots floating around. It looks like a it looks like a cotton candy uh, nightmare. Nightmare. <laughs> so this, a blue and pink. Well, it also kind of looks like if you were in the middle of a nebula. Like. Yeah. So uh, there, there's the whole theory with X Men. Um, actually, going back to another Marvel, where when. Nightcrawler teleports. He goes through a portal. Oh, he goes and you, I don't know if you saw the X Men Evolution episode with this. I don't. Know, this is the one that sticks with me. Is they actually slowed down his teleportation and could see where he the wormhole he goes through in order to go to teleport mm-hmm. to another place. And he is able to see that it's like this dangerous and like fiery dark thing with demons. That's the portal that he goes through. Well, the, so he hell blips. The, the story is that, like, there's a, he's a big religious person in his universe. Mm-hmm. He's a big Catholic. So a yeah. part of that is because he looks like a demon. Yeah. And he doesn't want to be associated with being a demon. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't come as a surprise that when he bamps, he kind of goes through an infernal plane. Yeah. <laughs> Which so, and that was something that I, and that um made me think of like, oh, well, cuz the idea behind this uh Stargate thing is it's a teleporter. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it, you would just basically, whoop, I'm going through one layer and out the other a la portal gun. Yeah. So this is actually a point where it would be slow down to see the yeah. wormhole you're actually going yeah, through. Yeah, to see the realm of which you use to go through this kind of like hyperspace in Star Wars, which you travel through that and it's a completely alien realm. Mm-hmm. I, because I, that was always um, an interesting thing that um, when it came in terms of the science of teleporting, because they said there's only two ways that someone could teleport. One is a more dangerous way, which is the your um, molecules would have to completely descend, like... Oh, it's the Star Trek yeah. problem with the 
with their teleporters there. Yeah. Make sure atoms get ripped apart one by one and reconstituted she, somewhere else. Yes. And it brings up, is it a Theseus ship where are you the same person? Are you the clone? That, et cetera, et yeah, cetera. that's the, um, that's. Do you when, die when you do it. Well, I mean, uh, I, 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 for some reason, my brain always thinks Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with my TV. Oh, well, he, <laughs> this is true. Yeah, because they turned him into radio waves, didn't he? Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. gets turned into small particles so he could be teleported into the small, uh, like television. Yeah. This is, um, this is more of the, the half life principle. Yeah. Where you're using another world as a dimensional slingshot. So there's that way, and then the other way is finding, having worm, or like wormholes. Yeah. And using wormholes in order to using teleport. A, a, yeah, kind of an extra planar thing to... Yeah. yeah. And that's the... I think from what I gather, that's the safe way to... Well, that's the one safer where... Safer way. You're, you're pretty sure you don't die doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Unless like a hound of Tindalos catches you or something, you know? Uh, fun. <laughs> well, I did make that joke of, oh no, I am falling through the abyss. Louis <laughs> <laughs> Baymax is flying away Yeah, because after heroically sacrificing that, himself. That is something I, I think about every day now, is he rebuilt Baymax because he got the chip with all of his programming, like the, the doctor chip. How what did Baymax, how did Baymax slip that out of himself I, and then give it to... Now my question plot is... Plot contrivance. Yeah, but yeah. my question is he had to actually physically say, tell me you're satisfied with your hair. It's like, wait, but that, if that's out, then well, does that not matter anymore? Well, it's no, like a dead well, man switch. Well, that and it shuts him down. Yeah. So whenever, because earlier in the film it's established that if you're satisfied with his doctoring to you, he shuts down. So I'm wondering... I think he's a shutdown robot. In- yeah, he's just a shutdown robot, and he just moved whatever is makes constitutes Baymax being Baymax into the chip. Yes. Because for a while, I was thinking, like, is there just another Baymax out there? I mean, he would eventually shut down because he'd run out of power. Yes. Just floating in that abyssal plane or what? Hypothetical sequel. Uh since he's, we never he saw him take out, we never saw them take out the martial arts programming the chip, chip without the morality. So what if a, one day someone opens that portal and recharges that Baymax, but it's the kill everything Baymax. I know there's an anime. And then there's two Baymaxes, but there's an evil Baymax. I, I know there's an animated series, uh, for Big Hero 6. I don't know anything about it. And there, that could be a plot point. Who knows? Yeah. I know Tadashi apparently comes back in some way or another for the series. I wonder if they do it like they do, because uh, in the comics, Tony Stark does die, but he eventually comes back as a an AI of sorts. Like, mm-hmm. he's a hologram. He's not really Tony Stark. He's just an AI. A la Jarvis, kind of? Yeah, that's just uh, reminiscent of Tony Stark. And I believe that was with the Ironheart yes. arc, which is going to be part of the MCU, so I'm thinking... That's gonna how they sneak in RDJ into the MCU again. Let <laughs> me play a hologram briefly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but um, uh, I don't know it. The only other thing I can think to talk about is um. So the the main song for this is uh, "Immortal" by Fall Out Boy. To which it's I, even at that point I was like, ah, oh, I forgot about Fall Out Boy. <laughs> it's like yeah, I remember that band in high school. <laughs> I actually enjoy it. Like I actually really do like the song "Immortal" by Fall Out Boy. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I'm with you. In terms of all the like typical pop songs that they usually get for these, this is not a terrible one. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. that. That song by Avicii was a "Wake Me Up, Wake Me Up When It's All Over." Oh yeah, I heard that song being used for movies left and right when it, it was at its 
peak. Uh, <laughs> it's a good song, don't get me wrong. But yeah. They used it for the nut job, which, do you remember that? Never saw it. I know well, of it. Go. I never saw it. I there you go. There you go. There you go. Honestly, I think this was... I think we, we hit some pretty solid beats here. It's a fun ride movie. I enjoyed this movie. I think the the good part is Baymax, but also I think the heart of it is Hero going through grief and trying to reconcile with his feelings of Tadashi's death. I mean, Baymax kind of, that's mostly why he's there in the film. Exactly. To kind of do that whole thing of helping, he ex- expressly says that yeah. he's helping Hero with his grief. Baymax is uh, his grief counselor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He actually he and also helps, helps him helps him helps him accommodate going through puberty too. Apparently, yeah. yeah. He actually downloads all the information about grief counseling from the internet so he could help. To they must have a to, uh, hero badass internet connection because he downloaded however much terabytes of data that would be. I mean, we're in an alternate universe. For all we know, the internet here is amazing. I mean, mean, it's pretty high-tech in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I mean, robots are, like, Rock'em Sock'em robots are an an underground thing. The back alley robot fights. (laughs) Because everybody's Rock'em Sock'em robots. I I kept thinking real steel when (laughs) I saw that. I, Battle bots. I I, I know I know Real Steel was a uh, film, but when I saw the Real Steel commercials, I was like, "Wait, isn't this just Rock and Sockum Robots?" It, it more or less is, but Hugh Jackman's in it. Yeah, uh, this is all. It actually is uh, because Twilight Zone just inspires everything. Uh, uh, this is actually based off a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> Real Steel apparently is cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'd have to watch that episode. <laughs> Awesome. Well, this has been good. I'm happy to discuss this. Matt, thank you for joining us. Also, to throw out there, the king of cameos makes a cameo. Right. Oh, Stanley! Oh, yeah. Stanley's we Fred's dad. To, that's the one thing they said, okay, you can have one, like, you can have a Stanley cameo. You're allowed that in Disney movie. Yeah. Um, and they have the stinger at the end, which is really cute. Because one of the most disgusting... Okay, so there's a whole show... Oh, yeah. So the there's bit a about Fre- Fred being like, I haven't done my laundry in, like, 30 days. I can make a pair of underwear last four days. Wear like, front to back, inside out, and front and back again. Which is like, oh, gosh, you must smell terrible. Yeah, that's kind of gross, my guy. And then he at the end, he's looking at the family portrait where it's him and his mom and his dad. He's like... And his dad, Stanley. Yeah, he's like, Dad, I wish you were here, but you're on the family island. And I just want to show my accomplishments. Whoa, there's a secret room behind this painting. And My it, dad, uh, Stan Lee, is a superhero. Yeah, it has all the superhero stuff, including, like, the superhero underwear. And he's like, whoa. And then he hears his dad behind him. It's Stan Lee. And then we hear Stan Lee say, yeah, I wear him front. I wear him back. I wear him inside out and the front and back again. Dad, I missed you. And <laughs> like, I'm just like, ew. They like father, like son. <laughs> Cut from the same for cloth. The, for the love. The same gross, worn, <laughs> multiple day cloth. For the love oh. of goodness. Wearing him inside out. Does not make it hygienic. That makes it worse, honestly. It makes it worse. Wash your underwear. If you take anything from this podcast, wash your underwear. Hygiene is keen. You know, when he mentioned he was always on the family island, there was a part of me that hoped that his his dad being a superhero with that reveal was more of like a Thunderbirds kind of deal. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, you never know. Actually, I do appreciate... So Fred is a... I'm going to... I'm going to give a bit more... uh, like praise for Fred. 
him being a superhero nerd and a, a comic book nerd actually has purpose. It gives reason for why Hero thinks, you know, what if we become superheroes? Yeah, that's like, true. I don't think they would have thought that if it weren't for him being a comic book nerd and, like, inspiring this. Or Fred being a comic book nerd. That, and I love how on board Fred was with everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. that's true. Everybody was like, I, I don't know about this. You know, superheroes really? And Fred's like, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I told you, I've don't, ever wanted. Don't you know I have the money I can yeah. hand? Screw the rules. Which explains, I have money. <laughs> they're able to 3D print everything they need. Oh, yeah. I think They can't just all steal it all from the Tech Institute. They need to, like, wow, I was about to gloss over all of this, and I remembered how important it is that I'm thinking about the semantics, and I'm like, the answer is there. Fred has money. Fred is loaded. He's loaded. Oh, I remember the part where, like, they go to the Alcatraz Island, um, and then... Uh, Hero just leaves them there with Baymax, and we're like... yeah, he flies off, and then they bring it up. He's like, Hey, we forgive you for freaking out there, but uh, could you not leave us on an island again, please? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's <laughs> Fred's like, no worries. I got the family chopper. I just called up Jeeves and he flew in the family he... chopper and picked us up. No big deal. <laughs> family chopper. I mean, uh, you I... don't have a family chopper? Yeah. I got one. <laughs> <laughs> just Fred being rich explains like so much. Because there was a point you're like, wait, where did they... Uh, Fred has money. <laughs> I get the feeling that when they're writing this, they're like, okay, how are they getting all these materials and kind of doing some transportation things? I'm like, oh, we'll just make one of the characters really rich. That'll <laughs> solve that problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I can't think of anything else now. Uh, adequate film, worth a watch. Watch it with some friends. Watch it on Thanksgiving Day like I did or whichever holiday I Watch it whenever. Specified. It's Watch not- it anytime. No, it's a Christmas movie now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a holiday movie. And it's it's nowhere near a holiday movie, but it's a decent film. Uh voice acting is solid. Character models are well done. The environment's really good. Like honestly, I think the aesthetic of the environment's one of the better parts of the film. And the pacing is actually pretty good. It does have quiet moments. Sometimes it, it almost feels like is this dragging? But it's never really dragging yeah, ever. The okay, it's so- very tightly to go in a little bit more depth, there's a scene, it kind of gets brought up a few times where Baymax says, Tadashi is here. And Hiro's like, no, he's gone. He's dead. Tadashi is here. And then we finally see what he means by that. And Baymax has some stored recordings of Tadashi, Tadashi working on Baymax, but he says things like, you're going to do good things. I'm not giving up on you. You're going to help people. And part of it's designed to be not only him express, expressing those feelings to his creation, but to his brother himself. Because yes. it's almost like he's addressing his brother. And that scene where that happens, it's definitely a slow scene. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you understand how important that exposition is for that character development. Also, earlier in the film, when they're sneaking out to figure out where the the minibot wants to go, mm-hmm. his aunt's watching Frankenstein. Yes. And in a way, Baymax is Frankenstein's yeah. monster. <laughs> It's alive! It's alive! Yeah, yeah it's oh my gosh! There's there's layers. Yeah, I saw it's th- very smart. Yeah. It's a very smart film. It is a very smart film. I think it, it's tough because we keep praising it and praising it, and people are like, "Well, if you keep praising it, why is this only great and not?" Well, it's it's because it's one of those films that if you're going to sit down and actually watch it, I think you could pick up on all of its subtle nuances in one go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's us, and that's us here for now. Yeah. It's a film that 
it hits a lot of good notes. It hits a lot of good beats. You can see a character's story arc follow through. You can mm-hmm. see the effect of uh, a brother's love on the younger brother even after that brother dies horribly. I, I think also another one of the unfortunate parts is we don't really get to know the char- the other characters, the other Big Hero 6 yes. as well. In fact, I think we learn more about Fred than... <laughs> Which is we why do. I think we end up yeah. talking about Fred more yeah. Than, yeah. more than makes... Wasabi or Honey Lemon or um. And, and here's the problem: the 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 what was her name? The gal with the uh, Go 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 Go. Oh yeah, Go Go because she's all about speed and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know much about them. No, you know Wasabi's kind of like he. It's about he has he has, he's very like I think he has everything OCD. has to be precise. Yeah, he's very he seems OCD. I think he has OCD. I think that's like Honey Lemon is very tall and merciless. Very- Go Go is like kind of a punk. She's got gum. They're like character quirks, not like huge personality details. We don't know them personally, but that's because even though it's called Big Hero Six, it's not about them. This is just Hero's story. Completely. It's an origin story for the Big Hero Six. Yeah, but not 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 even that. I feel like it's just Hero's story, and the origin part is just kind of a uh, it's just a backseat to yeah. everything. Again, nice little character details, but yeah, we don't learn a ton about them. And again, okay. except Fred. I just had a, a revelation. You know what I would compare this movie to? What's that? Rise of the Guardians. I never oh, saw Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Rise of the Guardians, we learn about the other, uh, I guess you could say, holiday characters, like the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy. But yep. we learn way more about them than we do the characters in Big Hero 6. That's actually kind of true. Huh. Because they're not the focus at all. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, and amusers. Let, let's do a fun experiment here. Watch Big Hero 6 and then watch Rise of the Guardians. And then post somewhere <laughs> which one, you th- which movie you think you, you got to know the characters more. Mm-hmm. I feel like, interestingly enough, I feel like we got to know the character, like side characters more in Atlantis than we do in Big oh, Hero man, 6. A... And even then, I felt like that was, that part was kind of weak. Even though well, that, 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 that one didn't take its time. No. I always tell, I, I said it then, I said, now the pacing in Atlantis is all over the place. Yeah, it is. Here the pacing is very good, and I don't, and I, by the way, it's not a gripe to me that, I mean, I It's I not mean, a gripe I, that we don't get to know them that well. I just kind of wish we did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Instead I of just would getting wanna, Fred, yeah, having I, a Fred arc. Yeah, I would want to know more about the other kids, sorry. Uh, I would want to more want to know more about Wasabi and Honey Lemon and Go Go. Like, what were their what are their inspirations? What drove them to come to this college? Because Fred is very obvious from the start. He's very enthusiastic about comic books. He's very enthusiastic about sci-fi and sciences. Mm-hmm. And when he's talking about the Shriek Ray or the Invisible Sandwich, you can tell he's just so damn motivated to see these things yeah. through that he's willing to probably just dump copious amounts of money consequences be damned on these projects yeah uh we don't know their real names these are all like honey lemon is a nickname well fred gives them all their nicknames yeah, that's fred. why he's just fred yeah fred yeah because he calls him wasabi because he's like i just spilt wasabi on my shirt one, one time, time. <laughs> so our next film that we will be reviewing is zootopia a that's a good one it's a really good one it is a really good one uh i would okay i'm not gonna do more exposition go just 
finish her off. Yeah. Okay. Bring it on home. Let's take this whale in tow. Yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> uh, let's fly off with Baymax into, uh, into the sunset. Or into the portal of the cotton candy nightmare. <laughs> yes. Ah, look out, it's evil Baymax. He came back. Time for the sequel. I am evil now. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.